So chapter one, verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. And then moving to chapter two, verse 14. Chapter two, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many paddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Shall I pray? Um, Father God, uh, thank you that we can be here together. Lord, we pray for Rachel in PwC. Um, Father, please would you give her opportunities to get to know her colleagues with lots of change and people moving here and there. Pray that she'll be able to form relationships and do what she can to speak of Jesus there. And Lord, help us now as we listen to your word. Help us to concentrate and help Joel as he preaches to us now. Amen. Anna and Rachel, thanks very much for sharing. Uh, just, just to say as well, if you've just joined us uh, recently, uh, we do have a mailing list that you can be part of. Uh, so do you pass us your email address and you usually send out uh, emails on Monday mornings to help you to know what happens here at Covent Garden Talks. Well, do keep the passage open as we kind of jump into our new series in 2 Corinthians. And our subject for today is on work, our jobs. And one of the really unique things about the work uh, people here in Covent Garden Talks is that uh, it's an amalgamation of different jobs. Uh, you have guys who work in uh, the quant side of things, uh, who does coding. Uh, you have guys on that category. And on the other hand, you have people in the arts, um, people in production and TV production. Uh, you have people who work on the desk with laptops or people serving coffee on countertops. And this is a really good thing about the, this community. It's a real a variety of people. It's more interesting, I think, than the city or Canary Wharf. But more specifically, um, our subject, we want to, I want to speak about not just our work, but the achievement of our work, what we accomplish at work. After all, what your work is accomplishing in your um, eight to five, I hope that's one of your main motiva motivating factors uh, to help you do a good job. Uh, in my previous job, I was working in a bank and I was part of a team that used to raise money for companies, uh, adapt instruments uh, for them. And we once raised about 1.1 billion worth of dollars for the Housing Development Board. 
And a few months down the road, they made an announcement that they're building a new public housing for, for people. And that was really good. You could see the, what the work that you're doing, how it translates to the benefit in the economy. Uh, so there is genuine value in our work. And so whichever industry that you're involved in, uh, I hope that what your work is accomplishing or achieving, well, it's motivating you beyond the paycheck. It could be in pensions, or it could be in building or designing buildings, or it could be appreciating the arts. But of course, my aim during this lunchtime is not just to speak about what you're achieving in your eight to five or your nine to six, but primarily about gospel work. You see, if you are here last week, you know we're starting a new series in this letter to two Corinthians. And I explicitly stated the aim of this series. Uh, the aim is to be part of something big, something significant, uh, the work of the gospel. But more than just being part of this work, uh, my aim for you is for you to reorient uh, your life around the gospel work. Uh, decisions that really back the advance of the gospel. Uh, what roles that you choose at work, how you spend your time, how much time you spend with your colleagues, how you spend your money. All those decisions are reorientated around the gospel. And let me be clear on the onset, uh, what I mean by gospel work, uh, what I primarily mean, um, it is a speaking work, uh, speaking about the person of Jesus. Uh, Paul, he defines what gospel work is, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. It is Jesus Christ whom we proclaim. Or 2 verse 17, we speak in Christ. Or chapter 4 verse 5, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And maybe today you might not call yourself a Christian, and that's fine. And you might say, hey, this topic's not really for me. There are lots of things that I'm still trying to explore. But I want to say to you, uh, this talk is exactly for you. Uh, because it is my hope and prayer that you'll be so convinced by what the gospel work is achieving that you might one day become a bold speaker yourself. Alternatively, you might already call yourself a follower of Jesus today, and you might already say that the gospel, well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be part of. But my hope and prayer is for you to not only see that it's a good thing, but for you to reorient your entire life around it. It's a change mindset, that your mission field is your workplace, and your ambition is not just your career, but also your colleagues and their salvation. That is my explicit aim in this series. But of course, there's a big ask, and it's quite a big ask also if you just join us for the first time today, that you may ask, why? Uh, why should I reorient my life around the gospel? Uh, why should I, when I've got my own personal doubts and struggles, uh, why should I, at the cost of what I can achieve at work? And so let's turn to what God is saying to us today. And the answer that we'll see is as we understand what the gospel work is really achieving, what is really achieving, that will convince us to reorient our lives around the gospel. Well, if you've not heard the overview talk last week, I really highly recommend you to listen to the recording. I think it's been uploaded already. And Paul's means of persuasion to the Corinthian church is to move them from what Anna was reading in chapter 1, verse 13, from partial understanding to full understanding from incomplete understanding to a full understanding. And so what Paul is saying is that if you have a fully orbed understanding about what gospel work achieves, uh, that is the thing that will convince you. If you really get it, that is the thing that will convince you. And today, today we'll see what the work of the gospel is achieving. 
Well, what is it? We're following the handout. You know, first point is achieving nothing less than life and death. Achieving eternal life and death all around the world. I look at verse 14 of our passage today. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? You see, the theme of life uh, is quite explicit in our passage today, if you follow along. It's also explicit in the rest of the passage. Chapter 3, verse 3, it is the living God who gives life. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6, right, and the Spirit is the one who gives life. Uh, this achievement is all about the achievement of life. Uh, but there's a paradox here. I'm not sure you've noticed if it's the metaphor that Paul is using. Because the metaphor that he uses is one of defeat. Uh, verse 14, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. But to really understand the metaphor, you need to read the famous historical experts on Roman conquests, um, asterisk, that's the asterisks and obliques uh, comics. And uh, it's probably accurate um, portrayal of history, Roman history. Uh, maybe you might read it before. And you might have remembered the scene uh, where uh, Judas Caesar, uh, the victorious uh, Roman leader, uh, he's marching down with his victory parade. And in his wake, uh, you have the prisoners. Often it's pirates uh, in chains uh, walking behind him. And that is the scene uh, that Paul is using, uh, this triumphal procession. But what's really interesting is where Paul locates himself in the entire scene. Uh, do you notice he locates himself as a prisoner? Uh, the crucified Christ is the victor. Paul himself is the prisoner being led around. Verse 14 again. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. See, Paul, he is describing a picture of defeat. But at the same time, he gives thanks. Thanks be to God. Well, why? You see, as Paul is being led around the world, he emits a fragrance wafting up into the sky, a fragrance which has both vertical implications and also horizontal implications. At the vertical, it's a pleasing aroma of Christ to God. Verse 15a, we are the aroma of Christ to God. But it's also horizontal. Uh, the people around, it smells like a marmite or durian, if you tried durian before, or blue cheese. It divides opinions into half. Verse 15, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. To one, the smell of Christ is divine. It's life, eternal life. To another, the smell of Christ is deadly, and they choke. It's eternal death. See, there is no neutral response. It's a paradoxical image. What looks like defeat for Paul is actually victory. What looks like weakness is actually salvation. What looks like death is the offer of life. But it's also a gripping image. Do you see what Paul is saying? It's as if God is taking Paul by the hand 
and leading him around the world. And the smell of him is life and death, is life and death. In the office, the aroma floats around the office floor. And what happens? Some, when they smell, they immediately cup their nose because it smells of rotting flesh. For, for others, they take a deep breath. And for them, it is the fragrance of life. Life and death, death and life, all around the world, and even here right now, hopefully life and not death. And so Paul says to the Christian, do you realize, do you realize what is being achieved when you speak of Jesus? It is serious stuff, weighty stuff. Does it cross your mind when you step back into the office floor? This is what God is achieving through you. And perhaps you might not call yourself a Christian today, and you may not be convinced, and that's fine. But on the basic level, do you understand this is why the work of the gospel is far more significant than your nine to five or nine to six? So Paul, he rightly says, who is sufficient? Who is sufficient for these things with our imperfections and our inadequacies and our incompetencies? Who is sufficient? But why should I reorient my lives around the gospel? Well, because the gospel work, it achieves life, eternal life and eternal death, eternal life and eternal death all around the world. But again, this life, um, it's not only speaking about a future life, a life to come, but there's also a present experience of that life, life that results in internal heart transformation. And that brings us to our second point. It's achieving heart transformation in individuals today. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. You see what Paul is describing? The transformation that's happening here, it's on the inside. It's not external on stone tablets, but on human hearts. And it's worth taking a step back, understanding why Paul is saying this. If you're here last week, you realize there's a relational context to this letter. But Paul, he is the spiritual parent of the Corinthian church. In Acts chapter 15, he planted a church, and there's been a five-year relationship with Paul. But over time, uh, the relationship with the church has soured, and there have been infiltrators in the church. And Paul, he calls them uh, peddlers, peddlers of the gospel. And so Paul, when he says, you do not, we do not need to commend ourselves again or letters of recommendation, um, he's not saying because letters or recommendations are bad. He recommends Paul, Timothy and Titus in his letter. What Paul is saying here is, you know us. Uh, you know us. Uh, we were the ones who planted the church here. Uh, we are not strangers. Uh, you are my very work. If you want to prove my work, you are. You see, what has happened is that they were written not on pen and paper, but by the Spirit of the living God, inscribing on hearts in the Corinthian church and also in each one of us. I did a little bit of research uh, while preparing for this talk. 
and I read up on most of your company values. And we have a quiz now to see whether you can identify which company you're working for. And let me know what you think. Um, collaboration, one firm, process, craft, and wellness. Any guesses? I might have completely butchered it, uh, maybe. But it's KPF, exactly. Uh, here's another company, here's another company. Uh, act with integrity, make a difference, care, work together, reimagine the possible. PWC, well done, okay. <laughs> Final one, security, real-time risk management, the meticulous approach. There you go, it's Rothsay. And so I'm not sure what you think about your company corporate values. Uh, some of you may be uh, cynical perhaps, and maybe rightly so, because uh, you know, at the PR front, uh, you kind of know what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, some of you may be actually pretty optimistic about your company values, uh, because the people you work for in the team, uh, they're really lovely individuals. Uh, the company, it does display those values. But whether you are cynical or optimistic, I want to say it doesn't matter. Because this transformation that Paul is speaking about is of a different category. It's not corporate values, but it's the spirit of the living God in you. And it's transforming the heart. It is embodying the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's caring about the weightier things in life, things of the divine, eternal life and eternal death, sin and judgment, things that didn't used to matter to you, and now they do. And those values will not fit in your company values. And so Paul is saying, do you realize? Do you realize the transformation that is happening as you speak about Jesus? From stony, darkened hearts to soft, enlightened hearts. Do you know any work like that? It's not surface optics. It's not a PR campaign. It's not marketing spills. It is inner heart transformation. Not just the life to come, but life that starts now. Again, why should I reorient my life around the gospel? Because of what it achieves in a heart transformation in individuals. But thirdly and more briefly, it is also achieving the life-giving work of God. The life-giving work of God. Uh, in 2.16, Paul, he asks, who is sufficient for such a task? And here we have the answer, chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of a letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see what Paul is saying? Our sufficiency is from God. And I guess that's an obvious point. A life and death is not ours to give. It must, of course, be God-given. But another reason why this is the life-giving work of God is because of the word there in verse 6. Now, do you notice a very key word in verse 6? Look down to verse 6. Uh, there's the, the two words there. It is the new covenant, uh, the new covenant. Uh, next week, we'll think a little bit more about what Paul means by the new covenant, but this is really significant because underlying what Paul is saying here, he's describing an aeonic shift, a shift of ages from promise to fulfillment, from expectations to reality. 
And what Paul is saying here is there has been a tectonic shift in the ages because thousands of years ago, God promised life and spirit in what he described as a new covenant. And so Paul is saying, my ministry, my ministry, my gospel work is the very fulfillment of those promises of God. Of course, it's God's work. It is the ministry of the new covenant. It is achieving the life-giving work of God. Again, there's a natural question to ask. Uh, this, what Paul's saying here, does it apply to Paul alone as, as an apostle or to every Christian? And that's a really important question. And next few weeks, we will kind of explore this a bit more. Uh, but just to give you a heads up, I think the answer is both. It must be Paul because he's trying to authenticate himself. But he's also trying to apply it to all Christians because as the letter progresses, there's an invitation to join him in his work to imitate me. If you want, you can ask me a bit more during the Q&A. So why reorient your life? Again, because the gospel work is achieving the very work of the living God, the life-giving work of God. See, the work that is not backed by a large parent company or having government backing, but is backed by the promise-keeping God. It is backed by God himself. Let's try to draw things together, what we have seen today. Well, Paul is saying that what we need is full understanding, from partial to full, complete understanding of what the gospel achieves. And there's more to come in the next few weeks, but for today, Paul is saying, don't you see the life it achieves? Life in the fullest sense, eternal life. Life now as hearts are transformed and the very work of God himself. And so do we realize how significant this work is? And it's worth taking a step back first to fully grasp what Paul is saying here. Again, I'm sure all the work that you do in your eight to five is really important. It's really important, the work that you're doing. And I'm not even being ironic here. It is good to help people, uh, to help companies to grow, uh, to help people with public housing, uh, to keep companies in check. It's good to build beautiful buildings. It's good to grow retirement funds for people. Those are all good things. And again, you may be at the cutting edge of your industry, or you may be the superstar in your team. But do you know what? It doesn't even come close to perfect. It's achieving. This is of a different category. Here we are dealing with stuff of significance, life and death, eternal life and eternal death, true internal transformation, and the very work of God. And so the question is, why shouldn't you reorient your lives around the gospel? Well, I think this passage is immensely clarifying. What does it mean to, uh, to do, be involved in workplace ministry? Uh, there's some confusion uh, regarding what workplace ministry is. Uh, some suggest that it's about redeeming the workplace or transforming the culture at work, or transforming the work that we do. Again, there's nothing wrong with all those things. But I think what's clarifying here is that that is not gospel work. Gospel work is speaking about Jesus. It's not transforming the culture, but transforming hearts. It is not transforming work, but salvation from judgment. And that is the most significant work you can be part of. Well, that's a lot of food for thought uh, this lunchtime. Lots of stuff to chat around the tables. You could chat about the urgency of the task, given if this is, is true. Uh, you could chat about how this gives you confidence to engage in gospel work. 
it's a great one to chat um, as you kind of um, hang around tables after this. But the big takeaway for today and uh, for the next few weeks is to think if I really grasp this, uh, the significance of this, what will it look like for me to reorient my life around the gospel? Uh, what don't I pray? And then we're going to groups to chat. Who is sufficient for these things? Father, we praise you for the confidence that we can have through Christ, knowing that we are not sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from you. And we pray that you give us all we need to be part of this great work of yours in calling the nations to turn into repentance and to recognize Jesus as Lord. And we do pray for all the officers here in this area, that many would come to smell the aroma of Christ and they move from life to life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.